Hey heroes, welcome to On Scene First. I'm your host, Tracy Eldridge. With over 25 years in public safety, I am wicked excited and honored to bring you entertaining, educational, and empowering conversations with public safety difference makers who are harnessing the power of -of out-of-the-box thinking when it comes to using the latest and greatest must-have technology tools, a people-first leadership approach, and mental health resources to save lives on both sides of the call. Before we get started, I would like to say thank you to our premier sponsor, NGA911. With their reliable cloud-based end-to-end NG911 solutions, I am super confident they can fulfill your needs when it comes to next-gen core services, call handling, data analytics, and much more. Oh, and did I mention it is affordable and customizable? Make sure you visit our friends at www.nga911.com and tell them Tracy sent you. Now, on with the show. Hey, Samantha, how are you, my friend? I'm so excited to have you here. I am so excited to be here as well. It is awesome, awesome to be on your show. Well, uh, you and we, we've been, uh, you know, ships passing in the night between, you know, being sick and and me totally forgetting that we had, you know, something scheduled one time. And but we are finally here. I'm super excited. I've been wanting to get you on for quite some time. I just I love your energy, like your energy, like feeds my energy. And then I don't think people would want us in a room together for too long because I think it could oh, be a lot. I think it could be I a can lot. Imagine. <laughs> I can just imagine. It could be so much fun, but I will be at your agency this summer. I don't know if you heard, but in August, I will be in Cobb County, Georgia, doing some training classes. So I'm really excited about that. We just locked those in. So keep an eye out for those. news. Yes. Yes. So Samantha Hawkins, I would love for you to introduce yourself. I know who you are. I know what you're doing these days. Well, I know most of what you're doing these days, but I just want you to give our listeners just a little bit about who you are. Like, let's start uh, where you got bit by the communications or public safety bug. Where was that time where you were like exposed and, and said, I think this is, this is the path for me. Yeah. So I was, I would love to say that I was five years old and was like, you know what, when I grow up, I'm going to be a 911 dispatch. (laughs) That was not the case. (laughs) I don't think many people say that. I don't don't even think, you know, that young, you know what a 911 dispatch is. You wouldn't even believe me. You wouldn't believe me. It was about two dozen different things I wanted to do. And 911 dispatcher was not one of those front runners. (laughs) I did want to be a cop at one point. And then I just, I got to a point, I was like, whoa, I don't know if I really want to do that. That's (laughs) so funny. Love my girls and my guys in blue, but um, but basically what I, one thing I did know I want to do and that stayed consistent throughout was I wanted to help people. Even if I was a writer, even if that was, or at one point I wanted to be a psychologist, another point a social worker, the one thing that was consistent I wanted to impact people's lives. Yep. So I started off though in customer service. I was a public cashier. And it's crazy to think about because it it was my first job and I was 17 years old. 
And, you know, when you have your first job, you, you soak up everything they teach you, you know, anyone else, it might've been no big deal, but all the things they're telling me about the customer is always right. And put yeah. the customer first. I, I held on to all this stuff. Yeah. So I did that for a while and I probably would have stayed in Publix and my mom eventually was like, okay, you know, you got to branch out. There's something else God has for you. And I went yes. to the bank for a little bit and that was still in the vein of customer service. Yeah. And it also was dealing with people. And I loved dealing with people. Now I'm an introvert, not the most socially outgoing person. See, I don't buy, I, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. It's like, I'm what? an, I'm, I'm an, I'm an extroverted, introverted people person. So when I say I'm, a, I'm like, there's parts of me that's are an introvert. People are like, uh, that's going to be a hard no, but it that's is. Good. And so just your personality. And from what I've seen of you, like virtually and in our email communications, I'm, I'm not buying that you're totally an introvert. I think you definitely have extrovert oh, okay. there. So, okay. All right. Well, you learned just, it somewhere. I, <laughs> so I still love dealing with people. When I went to the bank, I was doing that and I was miserable. My mother said to me, you're miserable. This is, this is not where you want to be. And I realized, well, I like the customer service aspect. I like the dealing with people, but I didn't like, you know, at the end of the day, when I would ask myself, like, what, what did I accomplish today? What did I do? Yeah. It's like, why? I sold a, a checking account. I got someone right. to open up a credit card. And I'm like, this, that's not it. It wasn't, not it. it wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't, wasn't fulfilling that need to make a difference. Exactly. It was not my true north. Wasn't what was meaningful for me. Someone has to do that job yeah. in all respect yep. to the people in banking. Yeah. But that wasn't the meaning in my life, in my right. purpose. Right. And ultimately, I applied to two things. I applied to the sheriff's office and I applied to 911. Okay. And I was still at the bank at the time and I got an email back from, from 911 and it was about, you know, hey, you passed this first little typing test, time to take the written test. And I, I told my mom about it. My mom's like, we'll pray about it, but yeah. I think this is it. Yeah. And I went, I mean, I had no, no clue of what goes on in the world of 911, which is, they taught me from scratch, right? Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't have even friends in 911 or acquaintances. I had no so idea. How, how, how old were you? How old are you at that time? So at that time, that was, uh, that was 2015. So yeah, I was, yeah, we're talking what, yeah, seven years ago. So okay, I am 30 now. So 23. Yeah. <laughs> 23 yeah, so, yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. I applied and from there, it was just everything meant to be through the whole process and everything. And even going into the world of 911 and saying, well, you're going to have to teach me everything I need to know. The only thing I bring into this is customer service and knowing how to deal with people, knowing how to talk to people, knowing how to reach and having the patience for people. But you got to teach me everything else, the whole technical aspects. And so when I, when I hear, when I hear you say that you would be for me and what I know now, you would be the model employee because hmm. you, you, you don't have, like you can teach technical. It is very challenging to teach personal and, totally. and so I don't know if you're familiar with DISC, the DISC human behavior model, um, hmm. but I do a lot with DISC and um, we're going to be doing some of that at the class that we're doing in, in your agent at your agency. Uh, but DISC is basically, it's a 24 question assessment and it will literally peg who you are as a person. And there, there are two different, so there's, if, if you can envision a circle, so okay. cut the circle in half, there's a top 
part and there's a bottom part. And then if you cut it in half down the middle, there's a right and a left. So there are four very distinct behavioral styles. So you're either extroverted or introverted. So you know I'm sending you one of these assessments after this presentation because I'm I'm determined to prove that you have some extrovert in you. Um, okay. Okay. So, so the first category is you're either extrovert or introvert, and okay. then the second part, which determines are you a D style, are you an I style, are you an S style, or are you a C style, is are you people oriented? Or are you task oriented? So the folks that are very heavy task oriented, they're the folks that can work in the bank. They're the, they're the folks that can do the repetitive tasky numbers, results, data stuff. But then on the right side of the, the hemisphere, the, you know, the hemisphere is, is people driven. So I am, when I say that I am an extroverted, introverted people person, I am a high I style and an S style. So my I is first, which is an extroverted people person. And my second, which is a very close second, is an introverted people person. So at the end of the day, for me, it's always people first, people first, people first. And I found that very challenging in many areas of my life. So when you say the words to me, I got the people thing down. What I've learned in my educating is certified, I'm certified to do disc assessments and stuff. And what I've learned is that it is much easier for us on the people side to put the tools in place to learn the tasky things. It is more challenged, more challenging for the, the task driven people to become more people-y. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah. So you landed, you landed exactly (laughs) where you were supposed to land doing exactly what you were supposed to be doing. So that's, that's really exciting now. So, so tell me, tell me what your role is, where, where are you working and what is your, your role there currently? All right. So I've been with Cobb County E911 in Marietta, Georgia for six and a half years now, over six and a half years now. Yep. I've I've served as an emergency communication specialist for most of my time. And just recently, I've been named a, a training officer, communications training officer. So Love now, that. Yes. Yes. That's that was a goal of mine. I, I pretty quickly knew I wanted to train people. That's that's yep. my passion. I want to train the next generation of professionals to love this job as much as I love it, yep. to make it their own, to own 911, because there's so much, there's just a future in this profession. It's not going anywhere and it's not dying, it's growing. So I want people to uh, to see their themselves in that bigger picture, that vision we have for 911. How I, to train them. I, I love that because I, and I've said this on a few other podcasts, um, my trainer, my first trainer, uh, hmm. Joanne, she was phenomenal. She passed her passion on to me. And I still remember things that she said to me. I still remember sitting in the room, the little tiny dispatch room in Freetown and her eating cereal for dinner. Like I remember <laughs> it. I remember it like it was yesterday, but she passed on so many amazing things for me. And I will always be thankful that she gave me the foundation that she gave me that passion. And, mm. and I am so excited that you have been able to transition into that because our people are broken right now, right? Would you agree? Oh, yes. They are. Oh, yes. They are. They are so broken and we're short staffed. We have too many that people leaving. 
Mm-hmm. And now you have the opportunity to take these new folks and pass on that passion. That is, that is so exciting. And I hear a rumor that you're, you're in the process for something else. What, what might that be? Yes, that rumor is true. So I am currently in the process going for a, for supervisor. That's, that's the next step for me because I, I already, I have my career path in my head. Like I want to, you know, I wanted to get certified as a training officer, but ultimately I want to move into supervisor because I do want to become a training supervisor. Yeah. You know, I want to train people and then eventually I want to be directly impacting the training curriculum that goes, you know, in our agency. So that that's that's my next step. So I've got my As final you should be coming up. So I, I'm so you know, I I know people in my own class who started when I did who clock in, clock out, earn their paycheck. And if that's what you want to do, that's fine. That's no judgment. Yep. Yep. But there's some individuals who they go their whole career and they never know there is a path. There's yeah. I, the opportunities might seem limited, but they don't know where they fit in in the bigger picture. And to me, right. being a supervisor is part of showing people sitting down with your employees and being like, Hey, you know, let's help, you know, sitting with your team members and being like, let's find out what your career path is. What are you passionate about? I just don't want to see people kind of get lost in the cracks and not realize there was always something more for them. They could have, there was, yeah, there was a, there was a potential, right? Like a a hidden potential that, that you might not know about somebody. I I love that. I love that foundation. And again, it's that people driven aspect. So for me, you know, most, most folks that listen to me or have listened to me, they know that I left my center because of PTSD. A lot of that was caused by my boss, the, the, the people that were supposed to be in charge of me and supporting me in, in engaging me and supporting me and, and elevating me. And they did the exact opposite. And so I made it my mission that I knew my dream at some point was to teach leaders how to be better leaders. Right. And, and I think you you bringing that mindset to your center is, is invaluable 100%. So I might have to, you know, drop a few dimes with, with my dear friend, Melissa and be like, yeah, we need, we need to make this happen. But I also know is, you know, we don't know who else is going for these positions and I don't see you not settling for anything less than, than where you want to go. And that makes me that, that makes me ecstatic. So my first, and, and I think the training thing for you, and when I say, as you should be, uh, when you mm-hmm. talked about, you want to be a training supervisor, et cetera. My first exposure to you was this summer. I was in my office and I was working and listening to the Dare to Be Great conference. So many amazing speakers. Ricardo Martinez did an amazing job putting these, these conferences together. So I had to work a little bit but I'm listening. And then your session comes on. And I believe the title of it was 10 things your 911 caller wants you to know or something like that. That was the title, right? Yes. Yes. So I'd never heard you speak before. And there's a reason for that. Cause wasn't that your first time presenting? It was, that was my first time. So I was definitely, I mean, I, at that time I knew that I was going to be going to the conference, a dispatcher conference, which was going to be the first dispatcher conference I ever went to later that year. And I'm like, before I even go to my first dispatch conference, I get to teach at my first dispatch conference virtually. So I was nervous and excited and all the emotions, all All the the things. Well, I will tell you, you are a natural, you are a phenomenal speaker and you know, folks can't see me. You can see me, but you know, so I'm a, I'm a dispatcher at heart. So I'm listening. I got my laptop here, my computer's here and, you know, and you come up on the screen and, and I'm working and, and all of a sudden you stop talking. I was just like, 
I just, I just turned my head and I put the pen down and I just listened and you captivated <laughs> me. And I, it was such, I don't know what it was about your presentation, but it was, I mean, everybody was amazing. Like, don't get me wrong, but oh, I, yes. I yeah. honestly believe that it was your vulnerability where, you know, you mentioned this was the, your first time speaking. And I think the combination between your first time speaking and, and the words and the, the information that you were given in that session it was like, that's it. That's it. Every 911 telecommunicator needs to hear the words that you're saying. And the best part about this is if folks go to the within the trenches pod uh, within the trenches media yes. website, they can get mm -hmm. to that dare to be great conference and therefore they can get to your session <laughs> And as a matter of fact, I will be sharing that link over again um, because it is such a valuable. Will you do me a favor and just kind of recall a couple of things that you talked about and the importance of of why what what the what you need to know as an I want telecommunicator that your caller wants you to know? Sure. So, you know, first, quickly on that, that whole was in, that whole thing was inspired by it was like a twist on every time I've, I've gone to a town hall or, you know, school, and we teach, you know, the elderly, the young, all ages about, hey, when you dial 911, this is what we, your dispatcher needs you to know. Yep. And then I just got to thinking about, you know, I, I've, I've been frustrated at times with callers. I've heard coworkers of mine get frustrated and you slam the, the phone down and you're just like, oh my God, that was a terrible 911 caller. And I, you know, I'm thinking about that, like, well, what makes someone a terrible 911 caller if they never well, and, you, and, then you, and then you have to ask yourself, you're like, wait a minute, was it a terrible 911 caller yes. or was I being a terrible call taker, yes. which in turn turned them into a terrible 911 caller? Mm -hmm. Because they don't have the professional experience. And so that's where it kind of stems from was talking about, okay, when your caller dials 911, they're coming from this, from whoever, you know, no matter who they are, their background, their zip code or anything, they don't have the training, period. Right. They don't have the professional training that we have. Right. So we're the ones who, who's, when we answer that phone from them, we need to have a mindset of, okay, this is the caller we've got. This is not someone who's professional. This is not someone trained to remain calm like we are trained to remain calm. So there was just certain things that was, you know, uh, the 10 things that you, you wish your caller, you know, you wish your dispatcher understood was things like, uh, I'm not trained. I'm not skilled. So I don't have, I don't have don't, a book in front of me. I don't, exactly. I, don't, I don't know how to follow the rules. I don't, I don't, I the don't rules know are. what you need me to know. That's why I need you to tell me. Also was things like, keep in mind that your caller might just be having a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, a bad year. Yeah. Okay. So maybe you're the first kind voice that they've heard in a while. So maybe you don't need to answer the phone and just automatically have an attitude right. or because you were in, you know, you were engaged in a conversation with your coworker and here's this phone ring and you just don't feel like answering it. That's not your caller's problem. It's right. not your problem. Right. So just the little things that we need to keep in mind, because I know like you, you mentioned earlier, it, when it comes to the manpower shortages, it's getting frustrating and it's getting hard and it I is. get it. And we are human too. Yeah. That's the thing. We're humans beneath the headset. Yeah. We're no better than our callers. We're all the same. We're all going through the same rough patches and rough years. But again, we're the ones wearing the badge and the headset. So yeah. to me, it was important to, to create this session about not taking those frustrations out on your caller, 
bearing in mind that there's a standard that they expect of us because they think 911 and they think 911 knows everything, can do everything. Some of them blur the lines between law enforcement yep. and 911. So <laughs> yep. to them, we're officers, right? Yep. They, I, they, I they think you're responding. Yep. Yeah, they <laughs> think they do. I see. Oh, you. I was just talking to you. No, no, you weren't. <laughs> no, no, no. Thank you, officer. Hang up. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so to, to them, they just see us all as one. If we fail them, they might think law enforcement failed them. They yep. just put us all in one. And that was the key thing to me of just treating people with kindness, empathy, understanding. And even, you know, with a lot of the frustrations still bleeding over from 2020, you know, taking, you know, you take callers who say things like, oh, you know, don't hurt me, don't hurt my son or anything. And, you know, your initial thoughts is, you know, as dispatchers, you're calling me for help. I'm going to help you. Right, right. But not even arguing back and forth with them because- Obviously, you know, tensions was high with the climate. So again, just all you can do is assure your caller is I'm going to help you. And I I promise you, I'm going to get officers out there who care about helping you. Well, so, and I think I think the thing is, it. too, there is you have as a telecommunicator, you have such an awesome re- responsibility to kind of guide the outcome On the officer side as well, because if you think about it, if you have the ability, if you've put the training in and and have that mindset that this person is coming in elevated, if I'm going to work, I'm going to work really hard to get them de-escalated because when my officer gets there, I want them de-escalated instead of, you know, poking the bear and getting them riled (laughs) up and, you know, being like, oh, here you go. Right. That officer took you (laughs) off earlier this morning. You're like, well, here you go. I'm going to let this one fly. <laughs> but and I swear they think we do that sometimes. But and yes, they do things. They yeah, do. <laughs> yeah, they do. But no, that was that was a that was a wonderful session. I, I often share with folks in my training classes that you you don't know you don't know what that person's going through and or what they've been going through and trying to you know we talk about empathy and sympathy and understand that that one moment that they're calling you that three to five minutes that they're calling you could be the worst moments of their entire higher life, whatever it is. And to you, it's, it's just another call. And I hate to put it that way, but it's, Mm. it's what you do and and the repetition of it. And eventually it can, it can definitely take its toll. And that's why I'm super passionate about that mental health and wellness place. Absolutely. I'm glad you are because you're right. You're right. It can become almost like, like an assembly line. You lose yourself sometimes call from call from call. So uh, that's I, I'm a member of my my peer support team, and I know that's a passion of yours. Of oh, it's so is. mental health. We yeah. we get overlooked, or sometimes you know you're worrying about your officer. You're thinking about is my officer okay and everything, and you completely forget that call impacts you as well. So. Yeah, yeah, and and I think when we get home too, it's challenging because you can't always just talk about work, right? You can't. Oh, and and then sometimes your family doesn't know what's going on or that you had a bad day. And I, I remember there are times where you, you'd come home and something's on the news before you even get home and your family's like, Oh, yes. bad day at work. And it's like, uh, well, yeah, okay. I'm wearing my, I'm wearing my stress like earrings and my shoulders are like, I'm super tense and and yelling at my family and, but you talk about peer support. So I think it's amazing. So, so tell me a little bit about your peer support team. And the reason why I'm asking this is one, it's important. And two, I think some centers 
are afraid to pull the trigger, if you will, on getting peer support program up in place because they think it's going to be a ton of work. And it is, it is, it is a lot of work. So how long have you guys had a peer support team in place? Oh my gosh. We've had it in place uh, four years now, about four years. And I, I, I would be careful. Uh, I want to be careful about saying what every single center should do. Yeah. But with that said, I think every single 911 center should pull the trigger, as you put it, and definitely have a peer support team in place. It is it is a little bit of work getting it in place. And it's also a bit of work in deciding who's on that team, because, of course, confidentiality is super important. So right. you can't have everyone on the team who's just like, well, I, I want to talk to people and everything or I like talking to people. Right. Right. It's more than that. It's yeah. You know, this everything what happens on peer support has to stay on peer support. So, yeah, it is a little bit of work in place. But and of course, we're fortunate that, you know, we got a new administration and Melissa Alterio, who is like peer support. That's that's me. all the That's way. her, that's, that's, that's her lane. So. That's her lane. She's like a jet <laughs> yes. going down the runway. Right. Like that's. <laughs> That, yes, and again, so. another uh, Melissa being another people driven leader that is doing Absolutely. the right things, putting the people first. And, you know, I've done some consulting with agencies where we have to kind of break through that barrier of task driven administration. And I think sometimes the task administration or task focused administration, they're not seeing the people aspect of it. And what happens is, is they feel like, or, or actually they don't even feel it. They, it's just, it's not in their DNA, if you will, to, to see the people aspect of it. So you need those people driven folks to come up and tap them on the shoulder and be like, Hey, I would like to. So mm. if you have a administration that, you know, is task driven, they're very heavy on numbers and data and calls got to be answered within, you know, this many seconds. And, and that's yes. a huge mm stickler and numbers, 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 data, 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 chances are that person doesn't have the wherewithal to be the people-driven person. So that next people-driven person has to be the one to step up and be like, hey, uh, we got we to we look at this. Let me take the reins yes. on that. Yes. You and people so shouldn't right. be forced into being on that team as no. well, right? You got to find the, the right people. You're right. And, you know, I don't know if probably some centers might have reservations about, well, are our people really going to use it? I would encourage them to realize that people, we have peer support already in an unofficial capacity. Yeah, right. Because the person you turn to after a rough call is your coworker. Even yeah. when you, you know, a co it's like, man, let me tell you what I just took. I just took this you know, this really, and you got tears in your eyes, it's peer support. Yeah. So there's already people there that they're not team members yet, but they're already prepped for this. They're the people that you turn to immediately to, to say, hey, can I just tell you about this call? Or that's peer support. That's yeah. peer support. So all yeah. we're doing is, you know, you put a label on it, you have a team and you're right. It's a little bit more work into it, but it's, it's not as hard to like, oh, where do we start from? You start with the people that you, you are, you can see like this. You already know. That yeah. Person. You already know, you know, they're good about people can go to them. You know, that they don't share people's business around. Yep. They're very good about confidentiality. They have the empathy, the kindness, the compassion. They're people driven people. You yeah. always know your people driven people, especially yeah. good leaders. They know that. So you're right. It's starting with them. It can start as Three people. I know ideally you want to have, I believe it's what, 10% of your agency you want to have experience yep. support. 
but it can start, you know, with just three people, four people that you're like, these are well trusted. We'll start with them. That's our team. Well, and I think, you know, so I sat as a co-chair for updating the acute stress standard, and I'll be presenting on it um, at the standards best practice. By the time this launches, it will have already um, passed. But one of of the things that I'm really excited about to share is Hmm. that it doesn't, first of all, you don't have to recreate the wheel, right? There, there's so many agencies that are, are doing peer support and they're doing it well, but there are also little pieces that you can bite off. It doesn't have to be like a full-blown, overwhelming task that gets put on the plate. But what I do know is that if you are thinking about it, you should probably put some other projects on hold and get that ball moving. As I mentioned, our people are broken. 911 is, you know, just, just like everybody else out there is a very, very broken profession. Things that you guys are hearing. I'm working with a larger agency and have had the opportunity to sit and listen to some calls. And I don't, I honestly don't know how you guys are doing it, hearing what you're hearing and the mentality and the culture that's out there. And and I firmly believe that folks need help more now than they ever have. Would you agree? All right. You are so right. It is more. The calls... You're right. It's it's more stressful and stuff. And, you know, and of course, we have the new technologies that's coming out. And that's yeah. a part of the future of 911. It's not something to be afraid of. But it is it does mean that with these involving technologies and now we're going to be seeing stuff. It means the peer support, the mental health care. It's all got to get ramped up. It does. Got to take care of our people. And, and with that comes quality assurance too, because, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that, that I know to be true is those that do quality assurance, they tend to get behind, especially if you're in a smaller center. That seems to be something that, that gets put on the back burner. And I'm a firm believer in quality assurance being done on time and in within a reasonable time, especially with the new technologies that are coming, because I don't want to find out six months later that you saw something that was horrible. You're right. And then come up to you and be like, oh, hey, six months ago, you took a bad call. How are you? Uh, Yes. Yes. Six months. Oh, that's you know, so to be able to to keep up with that. So it's all all this cycle. If you so you have a really positive attitude, you are probably one of the funnest people I have ever emailed back and forth with. Like, I, I think people should just be an email pen pal with you because I can be spiraling sideways because something came up or whatever. And you just have the most positive attitude. And that that's a breath of fresh air. Like people are, are not that positive right now. So if you had to, if you had somebody that was, was struggling with their positivity and, and struggling to stick. Cause I'm struggling. So, so maybe I, I'm, I'm coming to you to say, you know what, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with leaving the house sometimes because of my mm. mental health stuff. I'm home. I I'm not engaged. I'm not, I'm not living my life. I'm a, I'm existing in my life right now. Um, you seem to have a very positive outlook and way about what would you tell, what would you tell me? What would you tell somebody that, that is, is feeling, you know, a little down in the dumps? I would say from my own personal experience of those feelings of just existing, just working, just surviving, but not really living. A lot of times I know I, I lost touch with the things that brought me the most happiness yep. and the most joy. Yeah. There were things that, you know, for me, I love writing. I love writing, not just 911 related things before yeah. 911. I was writing before I was writing poetry. I was writing songs. I was writing, and I stopped. 
And I was like, why did you stop? You didn't right. have to stop because you, you came into 911. And those are things that brought me joy. My family brings me joy. I mean, just talking to my mom and not talking about call or talking about my day, or just talking about everything else, talking about the episode of Midsummer Murders that she watched. Just <laughs> anything. That's that's what brings me. And yeah. I'm I'm a woman of faith. I'm a Christian. So to me, those were the things I had before 911. And yeah. I, I feel like sometimes those things you stop doing, there might be things you you stop doing after 911. Doesn't mean you have to hold on to that. But your friends, the people, the things you had before 911, we lose it. Yep. And as much as I love this profession and I'm passionate about it, if it becomes your whole world, it, that's not going to hold your happiness for that long. And that's what I felt for me. I, a year ago, I had the biggest awakening of my life where I, I went for a position and I didn't get it. It was actually, uh, uh, it was a year ago, over a year ago now. I went for training mm-hmm. officer and I didn't okay. get it back. And I was so rocked by it because I had, I felt like I had spent these years building up to that. And I was salty and jaded and angry. And then a couple of things that dawned on me was number one, who, who do you think you are? <laughs> why, you know, why really like there was, there were qualified people with a whole lot of qualified people that went for it. You didn't get it. Okay. Yeah. Move on. And secondly, I realized the only reason why it rocked you so hard was because you had made it your whole everything. That's yeah. Job. But nobody told, told me to do that. Right. So I had to reconnect with what brings me joy. That's why I have, I have so many like little endeavors and, and you know, I have people who joke me, friends of mine will be like, Damn, you're always doing something. You're always working on something. It's like, because mm-hmm. I enjoy it. This is what I have. 911 is my passion and it's at the forefront, but it's not my everything. Yeah. So when I, I come out and I say, hey, I, I wrote this book or I wrote that or something because I have my other things. This is my work. And yes, I like to say it's it's my work and it's more than that. It's my career. But I have a respect for 911 that, again, it's not my all in all. And I think it's more of a respect for yourself too, because I, I Mm. did that in the profession, you know, when they say (laughs) it it was, it's a 24 seven position. I was about seven years in when I ended up taking over the 911 center, my chief dispatcher left to have a child, but I knew that just like you, I knew that's like my goal. I, well, I actually, I'm not hundred percent sure that I knew that was my goal to be there, uh, but I knew that I wanted to do more. And it wasn't until she left that it was I, I I was at a crossroads in my life. I was going to, I just passed my paramedic and okay. I, I was struggling because I felt like I wasn't in the role or the place that I really felt that I needed to be. So it was like, all right, am I going to be a paramedic or am I going to stay in dispatch? And all of a sudden she's like, I'm pregnant. I'm not coming back. And I'm like, okay, oh, well, this is a no brainer. <laughs> uh, I'm going to stay in dispatch because it's warmer in here. And the only heavy lifting I have to do is this blueberry muffin into my face. Like, you know, it's, it was, it was just a different, a different concept. And I, I remember first when I got the position, I had no idea what I was doing. Right. So I started joining organizations after, and then joining this organization, the mass communication supervisors association, and then APCO and then Nina. And I started really just diving in and surrounding myself with like-minded people. And before you know it, it's like, it, it rubs off. And I think there was obviously there was a, a reason why you didn't get that training position when you did. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. You're, you're, your, your path is, is already laid out for you. So I think we have to get better at accepting things when they don't work out to say, yes. okay, well, there's, there's a reason. That's that right. 
that did right. that did not work out. So I'm going to ask you this question because uh, I okay. think it, I do think it's important. So mm. you're you're aspiring to be a supervisor. Mm. What do you think is one of the biggest challenges of moving from being a peer mm. to now being a supervisor? What would you think? What what do you anticipate the biggest challenge being? Well, I, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you because I think one of the biggest challenges is something that I still have to wrap my whole, my my own head around. You know, I was one of those that felt that I used to have the greatest, highest standards of supervisors. And I felt like now I look back and I'm like, OK, I was expecting sun, moon and stars at them. But yeah, I used to think that, well, as as a supervisor, you should still be answering phones. That, that was me. I used to have that mindset. You should still be yeah. answering phones. You should be answering. And, and that's not that's not. I think being a supervisor, and I think the challenge is you still want to be connected. Yeah. And that's one thing I, I, I don't want anyone to ever think that. Oh, man, she doesn't. You know, if they say you change. There's going to be people who'll be like, ah, she changed. She's not. But you never want to lose that that finger on the pulse of your people. Yeah. Nobody, you know, your coworkers know you the best. I don't want to become disconnected as a supervisor, which sometimes happens. Yep. And you look at this person, you're like, you should know me. You know, three years right. ago, we were both on the floor. And now all of a sudden you don't know or, or anything. Yep. Or now all of a sudden you're not comfortable with coming to me. And that's another thing. I think as a supervisor, you you know, whether or not you, you have an outing, a shift outing or something, you should never be, you know, uncomfortable about going to that coworker, excuse me, going to that team member and being like, hey, we need to talk about something. Yeah. And sometimes it gets blurred because, well, I don't want to do it because I just had lunch the other day. Right. I don't want to do it because I don't want them to think I'm picky on them. It's got to be a respect. But I don't think it's that hard anymore. I think that if you're, you know, you can have that respect already on the front lines, you know, you know, you and I are coworkers and now I'm your supervisor. Okay. So now I've got the title. I've got this little thing that says supervisor on my chest. But at the same time, if I was comfortable enough with going to one of my coworkers and being like, Hey, now, you know, you shouldn't be sitting there and the phone's ringing and you're sitting there and not yep. ready. <clears throat> if you already have that comfort level and they already expect you that, you know, you coming to them and they're like, yeah, you're right. I need Yeah. To. Yep. It won't be hard to do as a supervisor. If if you're that, if you already have that, it, it won't be hard the, because, and also, and also, and this is another thing, if they also have the respect that they know that you're not telling them to do something that they didn't see you do right. all the time when you're right. on the floor with them, they also will respect it more. If they say, hi, I know that, hey, you always answered phones and you were always picking up the slack and doing stuff. So now as a supervisor, if I'm telling them to do that, I'm not coming from the perspective that, well, I didn't do it when I was on the, but now I'm right. your supervisor and I can tell you, they right. can be like, they we know Sam used to do it. <laughs> they, they're going to call you on your shenanigans for, yes, for sure. Yes. And so those- maybe I'm not answering the phones as much as a supervisor now, but this isn't something I'm telling you to do that I didn't do when I was on the panel. And I do, I, th- I think, you know, that that's amazing wisdom as far as now, I know you're not a supervisor yet. I no, know, you, I know, no. I know there's a path. I know, I know at some there point, where, wherever it will be. But <laughs> I, what I think one of the things that you said that I, I find extremely important is, is staying connected to, to your folks, because I have seen it in other agencies where it's almost like an us versus them mentality when it oh, yes. really needs to be, you know, I, I had taken a, a conflict resolution type class quite a while ago. And whenever it was explained to me that whenever we have a challenge, 
with somebody or whenever there's a challenge with something, it's, it always feels like a, an us versus them or a me versus you problem. When in reality, it's an us versus the problem. Yes. Like whatever, it's us yeah. versus the problem. You know, it's like playing oh, blackjack. Right. It's like playing blackjack, right? So you're, yes. it's, it's you against the dealer. It's not, it's not me against the person that's sitting next to that's, me. Like that's right. If we all work together, then we can win. Like that's, that's, that's just, the, the way that I love to see things happen. So I appreciate it's, you pointing that so out. Right. It's a hard mindset to shape sometimes because you're right. Even those, you know, me, I'm on the floor, I'm on the front lines. And, you know, you forget that, man, this is impacting my supervisors as well. The, yeah. the manpower shortage, the burnout we feel, they feel it too. Leadership, they feel it as well. When they have to make these hard decisions. And yes, I know us on the floor, we may feel like we're getting the short end of the stick. But at the same time, those hard decisions and facing up to your people coming yeah. in and, and, you know, you know, I don't know, because, again, I'm not in, I'm not a supervisor. I'm not in leadership. So I, I have I have awesome amount of respect, even more so now to understand that as long as I can see my leadership, my administration is connected with me. Yeah. That's what matters. They're going to make hard decisions. And I would hope that as a supervisor, same thing, that you're going to make hard decisions. You're going to have to say things that people might feel a little bit uncomfortable about. But as long as they know that you you care at the, yeah. the bottom line has got to be, the, it's got to yeah. be your, if you make this decision, you made it out of a care. And I really believe this is in the best interest for all the team members. Right. When I was getting ready to leave the 911 center, I was on this like, should I stay? Should I go? My, my fire is, is slowly dwindling. Like I, I, like I felt like I was at a campfire at the end of the night and they were just like <laughs> smoldering coals and, you know, I, I had to make a decision. So I had put in for a scholarship to go to the comm center manager class through Fitch and Associates. And I got the scholarship. I went um, one of the things that we did in there was we did a full like 360 profile assessment of of yourself as a leader. And I, I strongly encourage those that are in a any type of leadership position, whether it's a supervisor, even the training officer, even though that's not a supervisor, it's an added it's an added duty that yes. you have a responsibility to people, right? Yes. And exactly. when we did this assessment, I always thought I was a good boss. I knew I was a good boss, but I, mm -hmm. I now know that I had and that we all have blind spots. No, that, even you. Yes, no. yes no. I'm telling you, seriously. <laughs> okay, wow. Like, yeah. So doing that assessment... <laughs> it showed me what my blind spots were. And, and it was one of those things that, and if you do this, like, you know, I've provided the one that I do for, for centers. And when we set up to do it, I say to them, I said, you need to be prepared to hear things mm -hmm. that you don't want to hear about your leadership style. <laughs> and it's, it's hard. The reason why I'm leading into this part of the conversation is because when I've done these assessments on different leadership, what I have noticed is very much so everything that you just cap captured in what you said is that they want their administration to be seen. Now, administration believes, well, they don't want me on the floor. They don't want to see me. The last thing <laughs> they want to see is me. And my response to that is if the last thing they want to see is you, then the only time you're coming out of your office is when you're going to hand them a flaming bag of poop. Yes, yes, yes. 
right? Yes, that is so right. You 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 so, hit it. So so many so many lessons to learn. While well, we are getting close to the top of the hour, and I just want to say <laughs> thank you, Sammy, for thank for joining you. me. I I am thank so excited. You. I know you're going to do amazing things out there. I can't wait to watch you grow. But <laughs> yeah, I I just want to say thank you, and I appreciate you, and keep working towards those goals. Thank you. Keep keep doing what you're doing and just helping us out. I mean, your 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 impact on this profession is is felt. It's Thank felt you. and it's seen. So Thank I appreciate you. you Tracy. Thank you. That that means a lot. So be well, my friend, and we will be in touch. Thank you. Hey heroes. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please like and follow me on my on scene first social media so you too can keep up with my shenanigans. And make sure you get to know our friends over at NGA 911. You can start by heading over to their social media and thanking them for being our premier sponsor. Remember, stay safe, stay strong, and stay here. We need you.